Welcome to Much to Discuss, a weekly conversation between Kelly O'Shea and Steph Swan tackling the culture, content, news, and topics we're absorbing this week. I'm Steph. Kel, I think you're going to give us a little bit more context. I sure am. We've decided to create and record Much to Discuss after many chats that made us laugh, think, and sparked further conversations with the people in our lives, whether we've found ourselves overwhelmed by the constant news cycle or have been looking for just a solid content recommendation. We've both found a lot of comfort in talking with smart women in our lives, especially each other, and wanted to create a space that could be both fun and more serious to sort through and share a timely mix of some of the culture, content, news, and big topics that we've been consuming as of that week. We are best friends that met in New York City and are about to live in Australia and New York following Steph's upcoming move. For less than a month, Cal. I don't like that countdown at all. (laughs) We should maybe tell people, so the voice with the accent that is Australian belongs to Steph. That's me. And the Midwest nasal twang belongs to me. (laughs) AKA Kelly. Yep. So hopefully you find our voices easy to follow. I think that's one thing we have going for us. Um, I guess, how did we come to be? I think it's a good story. It's a hinge success, really. Yeah, you know, it really is. After the first date, Kelly friendzoned me. No. <laughs> That's I wish that was the, I wish I got to be part of the first date. That would be a little more exciting. It would be. It would be. The real story is my now husband and I matched on hinge. Kelly happened to be with my husband on Valentine's Day a few moons ago. And I guess you were there. I wasn't. So I'll let you tell this part. Yeah, setting the scene, Steph's husband, Seb, and I are friends slash co-workers. I'll lead with friends. <laughs> and Valentine's Day 2020, we went out with another friend of ours and just decided to help him with his Hinge profile. And literally one day later, he ended up matching with Steph. I met her that following summer. We became very quick friends and she quickly displaced her husband in my ranking system. of. And then the rest has really been history. I'm so glad that's on the record. I must say. (laughs) So that's our story. And I think that we're conscious that there's a lot of complexity in the world right now. And we've found that we gravitated toward one another to really unpack it. We have many, many questions, few answers, and hopefully you enjoy our time on the air. Yeah. Excited to hear what you think. Just to kick us off for this week, Steph, can you fill me in on what you've been up to? I sure can. Lots of whining and dining. We're really saying the long goodbye to the city, you know, Mm. nine months and counting. It's been marvelous. I have been also consuming The Walking Dead in my free time. To my horror, I finished The Walking Dead. So I'm in my morning period. So from quick Googling, literally, as I watched the season finale, turns out there are multiple spinoffs. Fear of The Walking Dead, which I just started. That has eight seasons. So I'm taking a sigh of relief. So yeah, as usual, I've been thinking about how would I escape the city? What would I gather? Who would I save? I actually had the thought today, I'm over in Brooklyn a lot of the time and you are over in Manhattan, as is my husband who's at the office. And I'm like, hmm, maybe we should create a designated meeting place if everything went to hell, like some tree in Central Park or something. So anyway, that's what's on my mind. Any thoughts? Where would you pick as our meeting place? I'm glad you're thinking through it. I really don't think I should be trusted. I got locked in my apartment last week, which Steph (laughs) is very aware of. And if my trauma response to that was any indication of how I would handle being chased by Walking Dead, I don't think we should trust it. Like, I I, I really thought I was going to die. Yeah, I think you should spell out your immediate reaction. I just, my my very first thought was, I'm going to die in here. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I love that this was like 11 a.m. on a Tuesday when you had, I believe, very adequate amount of food in the apartment. You also reached out to your super who was going to like kind of come right over to help. But death was just the answer. Yeah. If anything was ever to happen and we needed to escape the city, I would be 100% reliant on you. And I have very little perks to share with you as well. I, I think, actually think I would really drag you down. I will say you may be more like a child in the scenario where like you're a burden, yeah. but I do it for love, you know? It's really kind. When push comes to shove, we'll see how this goes. I, yeah. But anyway, so as you can tell, apocalyptic thinking is big on my brain. That's a lot of being what's going on mentally in my, my head. Incredible. Physically out and about in town. Pony Island for the weekend. You were there. Let's transition to you and you can color in Coney Island for us. What have you been up to this week? Yeah, it was a long weekend. We decided on a whim to go to Coney Island. And I think it was like a fever dream of a concept. And then we ended up getting like 10 people that came with us. It was so funny because it was literally just maybe I'm like, Coney Island could be an idea. And Kelly's like, that sounds good. Next minute, 10 of us are on our way to Coney Island. <laughs> it went by so fast. Once we got there, I was like, I think I could live in Coney Island. It's beautiful. It felt like LA. What about like when we're in the depths of like what felt like the traveling carnival section? Yeah. I don't know. You would need interesting company. I was just about to say I could see a world in which you convince yourself that's for you. Like you just end up going off with the traveling circus. Actually, what the hell would you do? I think I would have to pick up a niche skill. Actually, like what? Oh my God. It would be so hard. I think aspirationally, I would want to be a juggler, but by like actual execution, I would be like, I would have to be like one of the like roller coaster. Like I was going to say, maybe we could let you work the ticket booth. <laughs> that sucks. I want to juggle. <laughs> so that was that. I got into a couple of rabbit holes over the past week on animal related news, which is my favorite topic. And every time I see a headline about an animal, it just immediately piques my interest. You live in Brooklyn. Yeah. So I was wondering if you've heard about the East Williamsburg pigeon poisoning. <laughs> no, but on face value, I support it. It's a bit of a mystery. Apparently, there's been a thread that's been coming up on Nextdoor where someone like with no real evidence has been accusing someone of poisoning the East Williamsburg pigeons. And there's a lot of back and forth on the thread because no one can find any carcasses. But they said oh. that there have been less pigeons that have been showing up. So it's a lot of like theorizing and I just really love that it's bringing the community together. We often unite against an enemy and, you know, migratory patterns of birds probably hasn't entered the chat. Evidence be damned on Nextdoor, which is actually, I signed up for it when I first moved to yeah. Brooklyn and I promptly signed off of it because it's where the most petty people live. Here's yeah. my read on it. It is really feel good. It is very... Two bad worlds, but I know that you're obviously sleuthing next door. <laughs> it's just like for everything that you mentioned, which is 100% true and probably 95% of the experience, 5% of the experience is finding out about the pigeon poisoner. And He's so I'm going to stay on it for that. And then the other piece of animal related news that I read about that I actually was wondering, I wanted your take on it because I just couldn't wrap my head around it at all, is that they found a Russian trained beluga whale <gasps> off the coast. I know they're so cute off the coast of Norway. Okay. So I went into like five or six different articles and in no way have I been able to deduce how a whale can be Russian spot. Like what's the benefit? That's a great question. Um, I guess we'd have to ask a beluga whale. <laughs> so true. <laughs> I, uh, 
feel like it must be a robotic whale if it's going to be of any value. And even then, I'm unclear. It just wasn't very smart of Russia because it, like, had a collar on it that said, like, property of St. Peter- Petersburg or something. Like, that's how they knew it was Russian. No, that that is funny. But it reminds me of the other animal news. And I also love that this is, like, the update for you personally is we're just <laughs> talking about animal news. But it's the other one. a lot of time in my week. <laughs> that I feel like would be right up your alley is how orcas are learning to sink boats. And with news of Jeff Bezos buying a new yacht, everyone's like, quick, how do you learn orca to like sink his ship? (laughs) Anything else going on in your life? No, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Oh, wait, I am going to Taylor Swift this weekend. Wait. That's actually the biggest thing going on in my life. It's taking up all my brain space. What are you going to wear? I don't know. I'm honestly extremely stressed out about it. You know, I'm I'm pretty impressed at the level of de- dedication. I've never felt that passionately about a person outside of like my community who would know my name in like return. Me. Yeah, <laughs> you're my version yeah. of Taylor Swift. I just honestly, I can't even really even talk about it. Pumped. We should transition. Let's move into what's happening in pop culture this week. And I think I'll often introduce this segment because I'm not in the know, even though I don't know what I do with my time. It's probably all the doomsday prepping. Cal, what do you have for me? First thing that I have for you, Blue Ivy appeared in Beyonce's Renaissance tour in Paris and was dancing alongside her mom front and center on stage. Wait, is she old enough to stand? I'm so glad you asked. She is 11 years old. Wait, wait. (laughs) Isn't an 11 year old like very small? You need to watch the clip because everybody dancing is wearing the same thing this silver sequin top and these silver metallic joggers. She looks so cool and put together. She does not look 11 years old. And it just really got me thinking. And this is what I wanted to ask you Can you think back to a performance that you did when you were 11 years old? Because I need some contrast. There was a time in my life where I was going to be a professional dancer. Not that anyone externally told me that. That was just my 11-year-old okay. boy. I was like, you have left this out in our well, entire and, and you know that, you know Bianca. Yes. My oldest friend on the planet. She actually was very talented at dancing, singing, etc. So that led us to thinking we would do it together. So not only did we used to put on performances every year at our annual holiday. We also thought we were going to locally produce Wizard of Oz and we would have been about 11. When I say it was the most hodgepodge, terrible production you could imagine. That is the best thing I've ever heard. I commend you for your initiative at that age. Did you do any performances at 11? Wait, you were like actually a dancer. Okay, yeah. Like, so I did ballet. That aside, I was Little Bo Peep in like an off, it had to have, I don't know that you can call it off Broadway if you're like in elementary school, like yeah. whatever the play I was. think that's just a local show production. I was Little Bo Peep <laughs> in Broadway. <laughs> No, in retrospect, that's obviously incorrect. Little Bo Peep. And I missed my cue. It was awful. It was a very sought-after role, so I was really proud of myself for that because I had a couple solo lines as I went up to the sheep, which was the rest of the class. There was only one Little Bo Peep, and there were like 25 sheep. So that was like my starring moment. If I could have those reels side-by-side with what Blue Ivy looked like dancing on the Renaissance tour. Do you have any other pop culture items for me? I do. Page Six reported Al Pacino at 89 is expecting a child with his 29-year-old girlfriend. 
And this is right on the heels of what we thought was a big deal with Robert De Niro, who's 79, dating a 45-year-old, expecting a child. If you could look at Steph right now, head in her hands, staring into the distance. Like, can, is there some law where it should be like this many years of difference in age is illegal yeah. in the yeah. same way that someone under it? Like, it just is so, it makes me my skin crawl yeah i'm also just disappointed with homo sapiens in general because <laughs> the fact that an 89 year old can still be fertile is a big fucking problem and i agree where is evolution when you need it on this note i would like to have a child and be my most fertile around 30 with like a 15 year window from there yeah we will get our periods at sometimes 10 year olds are getting periods didn't you tell me recently that girls are getting their periods like earlier than ever before yeah. And then we have Al Pacino having a kid at 89. <laughs> I was saying, I hope Al Pacino lives a long and happy life, et cetera, et cetera. Hopefully but at 89, it's not looking good. Statistically speaking, historically speaking, scientifically speaking, yeah, it's I don't, all not looking good. That is more disturbing. Robert De Niro, 79 to 45 was a, a pill to swallow. Yeah. 89 to 29 year old. Good luck yeah. to him. I hope he can bend down to the crib and pick up the baby. Are you ready for my final piece of pop culture? Yes, hit me. This is much more for me than it is for you. But okay. Taylor Swift released oh. a couple of new songs, including You're Losing Me in her digital web store. And the lyrics have given some intel into the downfall of her relationship with Joe Alwyn. And fans have been creating mashups with the song Cornelia Street, which was historically a love song for her and Joe, theorized. Okay, so wait, why did she break up with Joe? Did he cheat? No, from this song alone, it seems like he wasn't trying anymore. I just, it's just the level of certainty you have around this synopsis. Yeah. Like what I know. She hasn't yeah. commented on any of this publicly. I don't even know that she publicly confirmed her breakup from Joe Alwyn. And I mean, she doesn't have to. That's part of the magic of the machine of Taylor Swift, right? If she would have come out like celebrities these days post a little story with a joint statement being like, we are separating. Yeah. Taylor Swift would never because no. that would ruin the hours upon hours upon hours of coverage and speculation. That's completely correct. Is the song any good? It's beautiful. It's heartbreaking. It's not going to be like a song of the summer because it's not poppy enough. It's really sad. But also, Steph, can you name two songs from her latest album besides this one that I just told you? <laughs> Um, Midnight's, I would go with being the name of a song. I don't even think it is. Damn it. <laughs> Wait, uh, Violets or something? No. <laughs> anything Midnight's is not a song. There was Midnight Rain, so you can get half a point. Great. So from a pop culture perspective, that's all I have for you for the week. That's That was juicy. Moving into content we've been consuming this week, this is really the time when we talk about articles, shows, movies, and podcasts we've been taken in. So take it away, Kel. So kicking us off with an article that I read and loved this week that was published on Culture Study, Anne Helen Peterson interviewed author Elise Hugh, author of Flawless, in the article, Beauty Culture is Hustle Culture. I was just eating it up because I didn't know very much about Korean culture as it related to plastic surgery and beauty. Well, my... My intro into the Korean aesthetic, I would say, is that back in 2018, I met a colleague and now great friend, born in America, but 
comes from Korea and her skin, you've never seen anything better, ever. Full stop, it's glass, it's flawless every day of the year. And one day I looked at her with my pimpled face and just said, what do you use? And she introduced me to the Korean skincare regime and there's a multiple step, all these products. She started kind of dealing me some of them, none of which I could read because most of them were in Korean. And since then, TikTok has completely taken that trend further forward. I now use exclusively Korean skincare. Wow, I didn't know that. It has made my skin tremendously better. It's way more affordable. And then through TikTok, I learned that Korea is the place that people are going to like get new faces. I only know it like through the web, if you know what I mean. I don't actually have any idea about the data points around it. Was any of that in this article? Yeah, it was. Even what you were just saying about people going and getting procedures done in Korea, it was talking about how Korea has more plastic surgeons per capita than any other country. And you can actually get a certificate to go back through security to explain why your face looks different. (laughs) It's like, oh, I'm hotter now here's my certificate. Right. Wow. And then I thought the other really great piece of the article is she talks about the optimized look of the Korean expectation of beauty versus American expectation of beauty. In Korea, it's very much like almost an AI type look. Like all the features are a lot bigger. It's inspired by K-pop and it's a no makeup makeup type look. Right. Versus American beauty is much more made up. In Korea, it's not as typical to wear a ton of makeup on your face that like looks gaudy in that culture. So I thought that was very interesting. And then she also talks about how historically she had a lot of judgment for people on the changes that they've made to themselves because it is just so extreme. But she wanted to kind of focus more now on recognizing issues in the system and changing how we interact with it. And she has two daughters. So she talked about how she wants to keep them off social media for as long as possible. And then she also talked about how she is really trying to focus on showing versus telling them that our bodies are for doing and feeling versus ornaments for the gaze of others. Yeah, and this is such like a deep inner conflict, right? Like we know that for women in society, how we look plays an outsized role in what our life looks like. And I don't think really anyone really particularly likes that reality. I'm in two minds about it, right? I'm very of the view that if there's something that you don't like that'll help improve your confidence, like, go for it. You know, the world's your oyster. Do what you need to do. If you've always found it, if you feel self-conscious about your nose, if you want to change something, go for it. There shouldn't be judgment there. But I also believe it needs to be coupled with, like, doing the work internally to like like who you are because I think no matter what you won't feel that sense of happiness you think maybe that surgery will result in so I think it's kind of a combo and maybe that's because I had acne growing up so I really appreciate if there is something you are feeling self-conscious about on the external side it can impact how you feel internally and how you feel like you can move through the world and then on the other hand I'm like none of this should matter and we shouldn't be spending money like this and is it creating further class divides and I believe that women shouldn't be valued based on our faces and our bodies but I would probably in my life get plastic surgery how far is this going to go though like I think social media is terrible for all of this filters should just be banned altogether except for the funny ones that would like turn my face into a cat speaking of filters at the airport when you go to get your passport photo it automatically optimizes your face with a filter that's insane yeah and then what so then we can't use your face for identity really at that point pretty much she talks about 
look as um, being a big topic of conversation. It's actually illegal in Korea to judge people based on their looks and look down upon them in different ways. And there are some ways that they're trying to control that within the culture, but it's like obviously incredibly subjective. Yeah, I feel like that's almost impossible to govern. It's all these unconscious biases that are very hard to kind of prove through, I would imagine. Yeah. But yeah, if you were to have a daughter, are you of the belief that you would never augment how you look? Where where do you land on on this side? Yeah, as you were talking, I was kind of smiling to myself because I had jotted down the exact question that you were posing of how do you believe that you should change things about yourself that you don't like if it's something that you feel really strongly about, but then also do the intrinsic work? Like, is it possible for those two things to live in the same place? And I really struggle with it. I think I'm kind of in the exact same boat as you of if there was anything that I felt really strongly about that I wanted to shift in my appearance, I would. I think that I have a personal understanding of where that line is. I'm like, I don't associate a ton of my meaning with the way that I look. I care about how I look, but it's not everything to me. Yeah, I imagine we probably sit in a similar boat. Like none none of my life is really has anything to do with how I look in terms yeah. of how I generate money, how I go about in the world. But that's probably a very naive statement because and I think cultural. some people would argue you don't know how much how you are perceived aesthetically influences your opportunities, whether people like you. And I always joke that the reason I haven't gotten plastic surgery is because like I wouldn't know where to start. Like there's not this one thing that I'm like, if I could fix this, then I would love the way I look. I think the older I've gotten, the more inclined I am just to be like, this is kind of what it is. And it'll do completely i do hope that we can instill confidence in women that goes well beyond their appearance i also believe that if there are things you want to do that will help boost your confidence uh, from whether it's your face or your body then go for it but i think there's a line likely and i think that there should be more responsibilities on like doctors and surgeons and people in the industry to say that you are going beyond that line and we need to kind of pause and there needs to be some kind of professional professional psychology support at that stage. Definitely. Yeah, I think you're completely spot on. And just the social media point that you made, I think is a huge one too. How do we keep young people off of comparing themselves to something really unrealistic on social media? Are you ready for my content flop of the week? Oh yeah. What was that? It was actually extremely disappointing and unfortunate. I'm going to bring you back to August, 2021. Were you participating in Bama Rush TikTok? Not actively, but it kept popping up and I'm like, why am I seeing a bunch of like 18-year-olds be catting and doing OOTD? Isn't that where it started? Outfit of the day? It was. They were showing the outfits that they were going to wear for Rush, for Bama Rush. And University and, of Alabama, rushing a sorority is a culture. And to explain this to, you know, non-Americans, rushing is like your trials to become part of a club. Yes. It's a very American sentiment, I will say. Right, because does Australia doesn't have sororities or they haven't caught on very much, right? No, I don't think we have any. So when you go to school, you don't have like a... Like only people who've moved from kind of the rural areas or people with a lot of money born on campus. Everyone else lives at home and kind of comes in and out for classes. Interesting. So Bamarash feels like this on steroids. So there was a documentary created. It was released on Max, which is the new 
HBO oh, yeah. Max. Like, when it was announced that they were going to be doing a documentary, my assumption was that it was going to get into behind the scenes. They would have cameras on I girls mean, going through Rush. They would reveal conversations that happened. Like I would have thought, like if anything, if, if it wasn't going to be that, it would be like, here's the underbelly of the money, the privilege. What was it? What it ended up being was so far from what I would have expected. The director of the film has alopecia, which is where you lose your yep. hair. And the film flitted between her talking about an obsession with like fitting in and these girls looking to gain community through sororities, through her own personal experience of understanding that as someone who has alopecia, to then talking to a couple of girls that were rushing and not actually like showing them going through the rush process but more talking to them about like, what do you want to get out of Rush? Like, why are you joining a sorority? It didn't go into any, any That's of the juicy so stuff. None of it. How how old was this director? Like, was she a girl trying to rush? No, she's, I would assume in her 30s, 40s. I mean, it sounds to me like she was trying to demonstrate that, like, community is important and, like, maybe that's the outtake of belonging. But it was why you would do it through this medium seems... It was a mistake. Because I feel like, honestly, sororities are terrible for society. It's, like, privilege. So, I will will say, just, I agree with you in a lot of senses, like, but I did find out that, one, sororities were created at a time that women were starting to go to university. And when they went studies were being published by men in like Harvard published studies saying if women are educated, all the blood is going to go to their brains and it's not going to go to their ovaries and they're not going to be able to reproduce. And so women started creating sororities on campus as community areas to create better spaces to be able to learn. So sure. that was like the origin was like women led oh, spaces. I love that. In every person I've met who's been part of a sorority or Me. fraternity since, that is absolutely not at the core of what this is about. No, that's true. I really think it creates a lot more inequity. Like you have to be at the right school, then you have to get into the right sorority and then that sorority kind of protects you. Alumni have power. I just think that system is probably not helping the people who need help and is benefiting people that probably have an outsized opportunity to begin with for the most part. And I'm not saying that clubs and communities are a bad thing. I think they're critical. I just believe that from what I've heard around sororities and fraternities, it's lost the real like beauty of what that looks like and is now really just another system that has iron gates at the front and only a few people are admitted entrance that exclusivity yeah i wish they would have an opportunity through this documentary to build a story around this culture that went viral why it did the ugly parts of the system that exist and i think they just really missed the mark part of me wishes they proposed like a new system that could replace it that became is closer to like the original intent of it all Moving into some of our more newsworthy topics for the week. Steph, what's been happening? So there was an article in the New York Times written by Brett Stevens. And the headline grabbed me, as is the intent of headlines, which said, Turkey's election is a warning about Trump. I was wondering, like, why? What's going on here? 
And so the context for this is Erdogan, Turkey's close but comfortable victor in Sunday's runoff in Turkey. And Brett Stevens opened the article by saying the to totalitarian phenomenon, the French philosopher Jean-Francis Revel once noted, is not to be understood without making an allowance for the thesis that some important part of every society consists of people who are actively want tyranny either to exercise it themselves or, much more mysteriously, to submit to it. That stood out as a, as a first point. Question for you, Kel. Do you know the definition of totalitarian? Isn't it someone who has complete and total control over society and, like, all of the elements? Right. Yes. Well done. I would say... I googled it for like the dictionary definition. Yeah. And the definition says relating to a system of government that is centralized and dictatorial and requires complete subversance to the state. So terrifying. Right. And I guess the reason it stuck out is going through the article, Stevens continued to make the point that it highlights where autocratic leaders that are seemingly incompetent in many respects are returning to power through democratic means, which to me is incredibly frightening. He spells out that despite Turkey under Erdogan's leadership is in a dreadful state and has been for a long time with inflation at 85%, natural disasters with terrible responses, resonance are quoted in The Economist as saying, we love him for the call to prayer, for our homes, for our headscarves. And the way that Stevens links this to Trump is that the Trump movement similarly is built on a sense of belonging. It's built on a sense of being heard and seen, of being a thorn in the side to those you sense despise you and whom you despise in turn, of submission for the sake of representation. All the rest, victory or defeat, prosperity or misery, is details. And this was really striking to me because I've seen it and you've probably seen it all over TikTok, news sources, debates, CNN. Right. It doesn't seem to matter the facts that you bring. Some people really are just going to say, well, I don't care if you've proved that Trump lied. I still am going to vote Trump. And I just found this to be a really interesting opinion piece around what is something that I thought was really hard for me personally to understand in that yeah. sometimes this isn't about debate. And I guess I'm wondering, like, you're going to be living through the next US cycle. How does this make you think about political conversations that are going to play out in your life? That's a really great question. I think that you hit the nail on the head from the word community, which I think is used in a very different sense of how we use it. But I think it's just human condition of wanting to find a group of people that you you can be alongside and have similar beliefs to and be able to follow in a lot of ways and feel like you're seen and heard. And I think that my kind of takeaway, the stats and the conversations and the facts don't matter to a lot of these communities that are electing people in power. And it's taken away what was the hope of democracy of electing the most qualified best person into the role that's going to help our future and having control ourselves. I'm always blown away that people can still support Donald Trump, but it just gives me some glimpse into the minds of these groups of people. And that's terrifying. I don't know yeah. how those conversations are going to happen because I don't know how to get through to those groups of people. Yeah, it, it, I think it's a scary time for democracy. And this is a country where it was one of the first countries to write up, you know, a system that didn't have kings and queens and and kind of, you know, that that element. It was the first one trying to be a real independent democracy. And so 
I guess for me, I'm learning that, you know, it it really matters how you're making people feel. And I think that being more divided is only going to fuel the fire for someone yeah. like Trump. And it, to me, spells out that more than ever, you need to like reach across the proverbial aisle in terms of on some level, we're all human on some level, hopefully we can find commonality. And I guess the more we do that, the less risk we have of someone like Trump coming along, appealing to people. You know, this article, definitely read it. Well, Brett Stevens does a much better job of laying this all out. I think it was just interesting that he was learning from Turkey. It's like in spite of really how poorly Air Drogan has governed in hard stacks, 85% inflation last no, year. No, that is my jaw drop. On track for 40% this year. Terrible responses to natural disasters. And he increased his market, like his voting share in some of those places. And it's really about representation. And then the details and the facts don't really seem to matter beyond that. And I, I just think, brought it up because I feel like it's, it's a good thing to kind of learn and reflect on as we're all going to have so much commentary around us going on in the US election and any other democratic country moving forward. So with the heavy news topics, none of them are really very soul inspiring. Not as much cheer. No, I'm like a little less like rah-rah. Because the other headline, again from the New York Times, that stood out was that climate shocks are making parts of America uninsurable. It just got worse. So the largest insurer in California said it would stop offering new coverage. It's part of broader trends of companies pulling back from dangerous areas. What are your reactions when you hear that? Horrified and confused. Like, how are these insurance companies going to continue to operate if they're not like are they just going to insure parts of yeah and this is the problem right because at the end of the day insurance companies are for-profit organizations and they're getting pummeled by climate change and scientists have been warning everybody about this for far too long and unfortunately with all these things the the measure that seems to get the responses from people is the financial impacts of this you know it's in a response that insurance companies are tired of losing money in particular areas and so now they're just pulling out not only that but it's like places that can be insured are getting more and more expensive to have insurance like the premiums are just going up and up and up and it's because the risk has risen and risk has a price. And that has to be the whole the West Coast of the United States. It's just the beginning, right? If you look down in Florida, this is something not new to that area of the world. Some of the larger insurance companies don't operate there and they've left it for kind of some of the smaller companies. And that's detailed in this article. Really, it talks about how insurance companies really depend on the cyclical nature of a catastrophe, meaning that like when something happens, there's a few years there's obviously huge payouts in that year. Likely they're going to run at a loss. Then there's a couple of years where incidents don't occur as often or as severely. So then they can kind of get back ahead. Now that the catastrophes are just happening more often, that cycle doesn't work for insurance companies. And this is just something that it will be really complicated to watch play out. There's going to be a housing crisis. There already is, right, in developed nations in the world. But on a personal level, it made me think about what does home ownership mean? Is home ownership something you'll strive for in the future? 
such an interesting question. And also, especially living in New York, it's not something that ever comes into my brain because I right. can't. <laughs> um, Wait, you don't have 200 million in cash? Why not? Well, talking to my parents and hearing about the upkeep of a home generally and random little expenses like a washing machine just make me not want to. But this article, especially, it just pushes me further away from the idea. If I want to live somewhere really beautiful and buy a home and invest my money in that home, my expectation would be that I would be able to cover myself if anything goes wrong. Right. And I think that I had plans to buy in Australia next year. And this really gives me pause. I have already been thinking about like when I buy a home, I'll be doing research in the area of likelihood of flooding, fire risks, that kind of thing, like where we are on the sea levels. What I hadn't thought about as much was like, what happens if you can't have insurance? So what then? It's like deciding to check your baggage without paying for that insurance. You might do a quick calc of what's in your your case. And sometimes I add it, sometimes I don't. You know, it depends. And so if your biggest asset and biggest expense is just going to be vulnerable, what is that unmitigated risk going to do to the housing market? And then to safety, you know, it, it really, I think, could create like a very vicious cycle. So I think that this is really telling that we're already here. And in Australia, there are so many floods and fires going on. There are certainly regions that, you know, insurance premiums are like half the value of the home if you want to be insured just because of the high risk. Insurers really won't do it. So a lot of homes, they can't afford to be insured. When a natural disaster occurs, they're left with nothing. Honestly, every thought that you've brought up isn't even something I would have thought of in terms of the ripple effects of it. I think it's just something to keep an eye on, as with all these things. I don't really have an answer, but I would say that as you're assessing whether you want to own a home, you should really plan for big increases in insurance in general. I will say personally, it really makes me think twice about whether or not buying a home in Melbourne, which is near the water, is something we should actually do. It's heavy. You know, it was some dark content, but it was content that I needed to hear regardless. Yeah, I've I feel like my job on this pod is to, you know, learn about the light stuff and then maybe educate on the back end. Yeah, maybe by next week I'll have tracked down the East Williamsburg pigeon poisoner. Yeah. And then both, both of us will have brought important. And I'll work. have solved the insurance problem within <laughs> the global economy. Well, I think we are at the conclusion of our first episode. We really appreciate you coming along for the journey. I will let you know as soon as Kelly f- tracks down the the, bird, <laughs> the pigeon poisoner. Um, and I think we'll maybe have a snippet of Kelly's recording at Taylor Swift to share. Such a good idea. Let us know if any topics resonate. Steph, thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. It's my absolute pleasure.